You are listening to Fed by Ravens with Matt and Adam. All right. Woo! High energy. All right. High energy today. We are in the, we're just kind of in the beginning of Job. Yeah. And typically you think Job, oh, I know what it's about. It's just suffering and sadness and, oh, I get it. I get it. But when you start reading it, you realize this book is amazing. Yeah, it's really... It's, I mean, it's chock full of wisdom. It's mm-hmm. really what I interrupted you. Well, yeah, I mean, that's why it's paired with Psalms and Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, because it's considered one of the wisdom books. Yeah, and so in every speech, there is, uh, for some good, but mostly, I mean, some bad from the guys. We'll meet the friends today. But uh, Job, though, is busting out so much great theology, so mm-hmm. much great wisdom, uh, it's beautiful. So let's just get into it. Today we're covering, what, Job 4 through 10? Yeah. What we, day is it? We are on days 27 and 28. So last time we ended with Job lamenting his birth. So that got pretty dark. I mean, who hasn't done that? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, why was I ever born? And but, his friends who have been quiet for a week. They started off strong. Start, yeah, start off real strong in support. And immediately go into, like, hearing, Job finally breaks the silence, and first friend, uh... Let's choose how to Eli- pronounce his name. Eliphaz? Yeah, we're Eliphaz. going with Eliphaz. Eliphaz sounds right. The European PHF sound. Yeah. Eliphaz. Eliphaz, uh, the Temanite. He's coming in, uh, probably as one of the older guys. He's the first yes. one to speak, so he feels like he is, is mature enough to start to engage Job. And we're pretty sure he's from Esau. Right. So he says, look, Job, you're tired, bro. You've helped a lot of people. Mm-hmm. Now it's time for you to be helped. He throws mm-hmm. down a little Oprah Winfrey magic. You know, you got to pay yourself. And, right. uh, you know. And so it starts off like, all right, that's cool. Because when you're sick, you need to know that you're sick and settle down. Uh-huh. <laughs> but. But honestly, like. So the argument for most of his friends are going to, it's going to come down to, uh, this has happened for a reason, Job. Like, if you are suffering, it's because there's something wrong between you and God. Right. And if you just repent, things will be better. Yeah. And so he's trying to shake Job out of it. He's trying to say, hey, Job, you've had these conversations with people before, so now it's time for us to have this conversation with you. We understand you're in a bad place, but come on, man. Just acknowledge your sins before God, and everything will be better. And it is kind of a failing. It's a bummer, because instead of being like comforting and trying to be like, man, we, we're just going to walk you through this. We're going to try to figure out how to, to get you through this hard time. It's, hey, man, let's uh, figure out what you did wrong. Yeah. And is it Eliphaz who uh, appeals to a spiritual? He has a spiritual encounter and tries to use that. So basically, as we look at these guys, imagine a friend who's tried to comfort you during a bad time. And Mm -hmm. instead of just comfort you, give you uh, reasons why it happened or how to get out of it and what you need to do. Like, it's kind of an immature way that we all fall into sometimes Mm -hmm. trying to help people. We want to give them solutions. And uh, if you've watched any sitcom through uh, the early 2000s, you'll learn, men, you shouldn't give your wife solutions. Just listen, mm-hmm. right? We learn this from all basic shows, but that's what's happening with Eliphaz. And Job responds basically <clears throat> with, you know, can, can God justify a sinful person? 
Right. Eliphaz. So, yeah, so Eliphaz is, is, he has this weird spiritual experience where some spirit visits him in the night. Yeah. And he's trying to use that experience as like, this is how I know that if you just repent, things will get better. Yeah. And then Job is like, I have nothing to repent of. I'm in a rhythm of repentance. I daily repent of right. my sins and the sins of my children every morning. Right. Uh, I am righteous before God as much as I can be. And I don't want to trust your weird spiritual experience. I want to hear the voice of God himself. And if he explains to me why I'm suffering, then I will suffer happily. Right. So basically, uh, Eliphaz is the person who says, look, God spoke to me. And here's what your problem is. You need to do this mm-hmm. or do that. And it's from God, so you can't really fight it. And Job skillfully responds by knowing who God is and saying, look, only God can justify a sinful person. I can't go by your spiritual experience and figure something out and get out of this. And so as for me, I would seek God and to God would I commit my cause. Mm-hmm. I'm not committing my cause to you and your spiritual experience, Eliphaz. And that's four and five, right? Well, that's, so Eliphaz is four and five, and then Job is six and seven, his response. And so six is him going, I would love to hear from God, uh, because only he can justify himself and me. And then he goes into seven and is basically goes Eliphaz, and he lumps the rest of the friends together and says, you guys are being bad friends right now. Yeah. Like, I just need you guys to comfort me. I don't need to hear justification for how I messed up. Or platitudes. Mm-hmm. I need you to connect to my misery, which is very real, mm-hmm. and stop trying to figure out its source in me. Right. It's just happening. And God doesn't promise that we don't suffer. He promises forgiveness and salvation, but we might have to suffer. And that's what Job's working through, especially with Eliphaz. And... Um, and his complaint turns towards God. It's yes, like, at the I end am, of there, yeah. I am upset. Like, God, where are you? Are mm-hmm. you against me? And these, and, and this is always a good time, and these are themes you will hear throughout Job. When we are upset, and w- there's a lot we don't know in this life, we are allowed to have a conversation with God, a right. real relational conversation. So we're allowed to say, God, where are you? I thought I knew you. I thought this and that. And you're allowed to realize you're much smaller than you think. Mm -hmm. And things are way more out of control than you can even imagine. And anything good in your life is from me. But we're allowed to be angry. What we're not allowed to do is be angry at God and never talk to him and be angry at God to others. Right. That's, That's a hard thing to understand. And so at first it looks like Job's being bad, especially to Eliphaz. Mm -hmm. Ooh, you're bad. You're being mad at God. And Job's like, whatever, next caller. He's, he's going, no, I wish I could talk to God. That's, right. his, that's his plea. And that's what's really cool And on our side of things is we realize now in the light of Christ that we do have access to God. Yes. And so this is like patriarchal times. This is pre-law. This is like, so he's like figuring this, trying to figure this out, how this works. And he's like, I would love to directly speak to God, but I don't know if I can. So that's a beautiful, you got to read it. Um, Beautiful kind of speech by Job there, but very confusing because he is suffering and angry. Mm-hmm. Then we get to Bildad, and Bildad comes from a little bit different, um, a different track of thought. He goes more mm-hmm. with the, look at our traditions, look at the ancestors, the guys who lived before us. Here's how they 
acted and here's how God reacted. Mm -hmm. They did good and were blessed. They did good and were living long. Mm -hmm. None of them suffered this. It's the old argument like, you know, your brother, he just served the Lord. Why don't you Mm. serve the Lord? He got good grades. You should get good grades. You're doing something wrong. Right. It's a very uh, karma religion. By the way, do good and you receive good. Do bad and you receive bad. And it's a very black and white way to view God and this world. And and it's not correct. Mechanical view of suffering, which is you do bad, you suffer, which is not our story. Mm -hmm. It's not the story of God and his people. And I always have to make a side note about karma. It's kind of a cultural thing like, oh, yeah, karma. You don't want karma. Mm -mm. Karma is going to destroy you. If it's true. All the evil thoughts, all the bad things, all the poor decisions, all the missed opportunities are going to boomerang around on you and destroy you. So I know we do a couple good things like, oh, I helped someone. Karma, man, you're going to get helped. Yeah, it's like one good thing to a million bad. Um, So we don't like karma. We like Jesus. Yeah. So Side note. All right. So so this is just Bill Dad basically building off of what Eliphaz did instead of but instead of referencing a spiritual experience, he's going look at our look at our fathers, look at the past, right. look how the, uh, God treated them, <clears throat> and he's being a little more harsh on Job, being like, "Hey man, you are a fool. You have uh, you are you've put your trust in other things. Yeah, like he's you've, he's more saying you need to repent. You Job. need to. You turn. obviously have not done things mm-hmm. like the fathers. Whereas uh, Eliphaz was a little more like." Hey, as a general rule, yeah. yeah. But both of them are hurtful to Job. Yeah. They're self-righteous and they're not, they don't know Job, which is always a bummer when you're suffering and people don't know you. They don't know your heart. Especially that they're supposed to be your friends. Oh, it's a bummer. But this is where Job then in chapter nine, he's asking uh, for an arbiter, which is what we are talking about. So yeah, so in chapter nine and 10, we see Job... Now he responds to Bill Dad's uh, conversation, and he's like, "Look, I know how messed up I am. I know that I'm a sinner, yeah. And I also know that I've done everything I can to be righteous before God. But even if I were to be in front of God and try to prove my righteousness to Him, I can't because He's God, yeah. and I'm just a man." Do you have a favorite? Like my favorite? Well, I have two favorite verses in chapter nine. One is. Verse 3, where it says, If one wished to contend with him, with God, one could not answer him once in a thousand times. Mm-hmm. So it's like your stats on answering God to God, you wouldn't, you'd go oh for a thousand. I like that because Job is recognizing, I know you're asking me to repent of something and do some good to overcome, to answer God for why he's so mad, but I'd go oh for a thousand. Yeah. And then the the real money... Well, wait, before verse, you oh, get there, uh, oh, verse oh. 20 and 21, he's like, if I was able to argue my case in front of God, he says, right. though I am in the right, my mouth would condemn me. Though I am blameless, he would prove me perverse. Uh, so, oh, I guess that's just 20. But the idea is he's recognizing that even though he's done what he can to be righteous before God, even his righteousness would be inadequate because God expects so much more from us. Right. And that that's we that's, cannot meet it. And that's where the very end of this chapter four, he is not a man as I am, that I might answer him, that we should come to trial together. So I can't just mm-hmm. go to trial, prove my case, do some kind of good work to make this right. right. 
Verse 33, there is no arbiter between us who might lay his hand on us both. Now here's, it's a little Jesus moment, which you already right. mentioned, which is Jesus is the arbiter between God and man. He mm-hmm. can have his hand on God and hand on us. Otherwise, we can't go to trial together. And then the last two last verses, let him take his rod away from me and let not dread of him terrify me. Then I would speak without fear of him, for I am not so in myself. So this is what the work of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Take the rod of discipline away from me <clears throat> so that I might actually go before the throne of God in mercy and in grace. And so Job has these themes, which shows you the themes and the, uh, the trajectory of our need for a Savior is in the first books of the Bible. Right. And Job gets it. And I, I mean, I love the idea that you need uh, an arbiter who mm-hmm. can place his hand on both God and man. So the need and the value of a Savior who is God and man at once is amazing. Yeah. Because we need someone who can understand and it's meet both needs. Absolutely necessary. Yeah. So try to get to God any other way. That's why it's narrow. Yeah. It's like, well, there's only one who can do it. Right. Sorry, uh, Bildad. Sorry, Eliphaz. You need help. Mm-hmm. But then, and then chapter 10, this allows Job to um, see, we think... Once you know Jesus and once you know God, you just got to have a good attitude and be like, oh, I'm happy for sadness. But mm-hmm. no, we get to be real people. So we can actually um, experience pain and suffering and not pretend like it's all going to work. Like we all know Romans 8 or something where it's all going to work out for good. Mm-hmm. We come to that and we rest in that. But man, we actually get to engage the suffering. This is not right. This is awful. And so it's confusing to people. But you know what? It's confusing. It's confusing, and it's a but suffering is confusing, and he's having an honest conversation with God, and the main question he has in this is basically why. Uh, in verse eighteen, he says, "Why did you bring me out of the womb? Would that I had died before any eye had seen me, and were as though I had not been carried from the womb to the grave." And the idea is, why did you allow me to be born? If you were just going to sit here and watch me suffer or make me suffer. Right. God's going to be God. I'm in a Mm lose-lose. So I'm pleading with you, God. I don't know why you even did this. Right. And again, we're allowed to ask God those questions. That's the safest place to ask those questions. And if you can't ask God the hard questions, then that just is showing we need to to push into that relationship a little bit more. Yeah. That's all. And he says, uh, all we, I just kind of wrote down here an idea. All we know is that God is, there's still some hope. Yeah. So he's still pleading to God. So Job still has hope. And when we complain to God, that is how our hope takes shape sometimes. Mm-hmm. And almost always in suffering, we still have hope. We still believe that God is for us. We just do not know what he's doing. And that's okay because God gets to be God and we get to be his children. Right. And the children don't always know what's going on. I just watched Rudy last night, a great old movie about a football player and at Notre Dame. And the priest, the fictional priests, had a great line. He said to Rudy, there's two things I know for sure. One, there is a God. And two, I am not he. Mm. So I'll leave you with that. that. That's fed by uh, the cousin of a raven. It's not the <laughs> word of God, but it's maybe fed by a crow there for a second. But we'll get back to ravens here. So that is, uh, that's, anything else to say about Job? No, that's, we're... Just getting into it. Can't wait till tomorrow. We get to look at uh, what Zopher says. 
but let's move on to today's New Testament reading, Matthew chapter 19. Some good subjects today, Matt. Yeah. Hitting home. Yeah, so we have... <laughs> Maybe not your home, but a lot of in our culture, this one hits pretty close to home. It's about... Divorce. Divorce. Yay. Favorite topic. Before we say, yeah, (laughs) I've been accused of being for divorce. Yeah. Because I love people. We serve the gospel to people who have been divorced. And then Mm -hmm. uh, people who don't know our hearts think, oh, you're for divorce. And it's like, well, what would you want me to do? Kick them out? Just say, you're divorced. You're out? That's not the gospel, bro. And so, uh, but it's good to know that divorce is a sticky and difficult situation for us. Because it's always been. Mm -hmm. Jesus was dealing with it. And then Jesus will reference Moses was dealing with it. Right. And the reason it's a difficult issue always is because marriage is an ordained, holy institution Mm -hmm. from the very beginning. Adam and Eve completely become one flesh. They are united together in a marriage. And the marriage is uh, created to reflect the relationship of God and his love, undying, eternal love, for his people. And so it's something in our DNA. We all desire to be in these marital relationships where someone gives their life for us, but we find it to be um, beyond the abilities we're, we have to, to keep these relationships and to manage them. So as uh, what comes from that is confusion. Yes. Uh, real quick, I do want to make one geographical note. Oh, a geography moment. Uh so for most of Matthew uh, yeah. and most of his ministry, Jesus' ministry, he's been up uh, in the northern section in Galilee where mm-hmm. there's a good mixture of uh, Jews and Gentiles. Uh, but in the beginning of 19, he's now beginning his move oh. and his path down to Judea, which is closer to Jerusalem. And he has stayed away from Jerusalem for most of his ministry. That's a good note. That's a good one. I don't. I didn't catch that. Yeah, you're right. Judea beyond the Jordan. So it is like he's entering into the real promised land mm-hmm. to God's people, and and he's being followed because a lot of people have been healed, right? And they've seen his power. And then the Pharisees, so as he gets closer to Jerusalem, the questions and the uh, confrontations he has becomes a little more intense. Yeah, it's, this is and fair, poignant. This is Pharisee country, so. and he becomes a little more firm uh-huh. and. Uh, so this is Strong. like uh, West Side Story, Jets and Sharks, I believe. Sure. Yeah, and the Pharisees and the disciples. So the Pharisees come walking up to Jesus. And they're like, hey, here's a tough one. We'll just shut this guy down and get him in trouble right. by talking about divorce. And uh, they tested him. And they're saying, you know, is it lawful to divorce a wife for any cause? And they know they're going to use, they're always looking to discredit him in two ways. Mm-hmm. One, to make him break the law of Moses. And then two, to make him break the law of Rome mm-hmm. and the uh, occupying forces. So that either way, either the people or uh, some way, he want, they want him to be hated. Yeah, but or Jesus, get in trouble. But Jesus is the son of God speaking for God and has, like, handles them beautifully. So right. here he is as prophet and politician, right? Mm-hmm. Handling their concerns about divorce. And he responds by going, um, here's what marriage is really about. Haven't you read that from the beginning, he made them male and female. 
And he said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So he's laying out the divine institution of marriage. So from know, Genesis. From Genesis. So, you know, for those of us who run into people like, I don't think marriage, you know, it's, it, well, whatever you think about marriage, Jesus thinks it's the real deal. Right. And he follows that up with, what therefore God has joined together, let no man separate. Right. That's a heavy... <laughs> That's... Let no man separate. So we don't want to be involved in getting people divorced. We don't mm-hmm. want to be splitting up marriages. It's a it's a divine thing. So then they come at him with, well, then why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and s- to send her away? Because, see, this is what they have. They think they know the law of Moses better mm-hmm. than anybody. They're experts. Right. So they're like, you don't even know the law of Moses. But unfortunately for them, Jesus is better than Moses. Right. And knows the actual God who gave and is the actual God. So he says, look, the only reason Moses was allowed to to do that was because the hardness of their hearts. It was such a nightmare. People were, um, so in Israel, you weren't allowed to just commit adultery. Mm -hmm. And so everyone followed the the letter of the law. The letter of the law were not committing adultery, but what they did was they had no understanding of the spirit of the law. And so they were just saying, oh, I fell in love with the, that girl, that lady over there, and now I'm going to divorce my wife so I can marry her. Yeah, I mean, it was as simple as a man writing up a writ of divorce right. and handing it to his wife and saying, we are now done, and walking away and marrying someone else. And, and quite honestly, abandoning a woman who... In these cultural structures, the women had no authority. They had no. Uh, they couldn't be a, a witness in court, mm-hmm. and they were left. I mean, they were abandoned. Mm-hmm. And so, it's showing the hardness of their hearts is not just like they didn't care what God's law said. Man, they didn't care for a woman that they committed their lives to. Mm-hmm. They threw her away, and then they went and married someone else. And then, on top of it, they were like, "Oh, we're doing good because we're not. At least we're not committing adultery," which is throwing back to when Jesus says. In the uh, Sermon on the Mount, adultery, man, if you have lust for another woman, you've committed adultery in your heart. Don't act like you are innocent of this command of God not to commit adultery. Man, we're, we're better than this. Mm-hmm. We're reflecting the God. We're not just following the, um, the letter of the law. And so then he says, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. Do you want to handle that one, Matt? Whew. Uh yeah, so <laughs> yes, I, I do. I, I don't. I mean, other than like that's it. Like he's basically he's he's rebuking their practice of yeah. trying to get around committing adultery by divorcing a white one woman and going over to and marrying another. He's mm-hmm. he's getting around that and getting right to the heart of the issue. He's like, you wanted to commit adultery with that woman already in your heart, and you so, found a way to do it. So you found a way to do it within the law. And so you think you're good, but you did it. Yeah, you did it. Now, for those of us who, um, for in our culture, this could be a verse that you try to wrap your brain around, like, oh, if you've been divorced, if you marry someone else, are you now committing adultery? And my first answer with the words of Jesus is, that's a good question to grapple with. Mm-hmm. Like, pray through it. But then I would, because uh, I would give you the first, the law. Yes, Jesus says, his desire is that we stay married. Right. But... There's always the gospel, and mm-hmm. the gospel is a free gift of forgiveness of sin, and when we approach God with repentance, he is faithful and just to forgive us. So if you're in this situation and you're confused, you simply ask God, God, have mercy on me, forgive me, 
I don't want to be committing adultery. I don't want to be doing this. Help me to work, work with this. And he will. And he's just. And there is forgiveness for those who have been divorced and have remarried. And what Jesus says here is supposed to crush you. It is the yeah. law. It is what God requires because his disciples immediately, their immediate response to this is, who can be married then? Right. If this is true, who can actually be married? Right. And then he talks about, yeah, yeah. so who can be married? It, it's a work of God. Um, there's this little thing about eunuchs, though. He's like, you know what? It's better not to marry for some of you. Mm-hmm. If, you can, if you have the gift of, if there's a gift of celibacy yes. that some folks will have where they can give their lives to the Lord, and, but most of us, we don't have that gift and we need to get married and, uh, and there's a healthy and honest way to meet the needs, mm-hmm. meet the needs of our bodies. Right. And, um, and so he mentions that, um, yeah, so let the one who's able to receive this receive it. Yeah. So who can be married? Well, it's by the help of God. Right. And that's where, but remember, uh, this is to the Pharisees and, and hopefully you're not one of them. <laughs> hopefully you're open to repentance. But because immediately then he goes to, and I say that word immediately again, I'm sorry. Um, but it's true. He turns to the children because they say to him, they start rebuking the children. People are bringing their kids to be blessed by Jesus, mm-hmm. which I do want to say is a great instinct. Yeah. It's... Why wouldn't you? You're seeing this guy heal people. I want my babies to be blessed. I want my children. Hey, can we just go touch his garment? Because kids die mm-hmm. and kids get sick and we love them and we want them to be protected. And so they send him to Jesus and the disciples say, hey, get away from here, you kids. You know, we're yeah. about serious tithers here or something. I don't know. We're taking on the Pharisees. We yeah. don't have time for you. Yeah. You're of no value to us. And Jesus says, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them. Mm-hmm. So he blesses them. Like, can you imagine? My kids get blessed yeah. by Jesus. So in, this, in his three-year ministry, we happened to be there, and they were blessed by Jesus. Dude. So Matthew, I'm realizing, is an, a brilliant writer. And yeah. the great uh, comparison or juxtaposition of this is he is condemning the Pharisees and then honoring the children. Right. Which is the theme because the children recognize their need. They recognize they might be rebuked for being in certain places or being messy or loud. And Jesus says, no, no, no. This is what you all become through faith in me. You become children of God, always with open hands, always raised up saying, Mm -hmm. mama, up, up. (laughs) And then he gives, uh, then there's a great interaction illustrating this Mm -hmm. with the rich young ruler. Like it illustrates the guy who has done everything, who has everything. And it's funny, it goes with Job, right? He's the opposite of Job. He's blessed. So obviously he's operating under the same theology as Eliphaz and uh, Bildad. Like he's been good and therefore he's rich. Right. And that's not how the kingdom of God works. And he comes up and he says, teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And Jesus immediately drops, why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one who is good. Mm-hmm. And this goes back to the, the Lord is one God, our God, right? The Shema like declaring who God is. There's one who is good, God. And uh, so he's like, first of all, are you acknowledging me as God or not? And are you trying to put yourself in the place of God? Like you're good? Right. Or you think you can be God to get self- merit this? Interesting. But in good Jesus fashion, he always says, you know what? 
uh, just keep all the commandments. <laughs> and Jesus says that honestly in yeah. several places. Like, honestly. Oh, if you want to save yourself, cool. Keep all the commandments. Yeah, and if you break one, you break them all. Mm-hmm. It's an impossible uh, yoke of the law that will crush you. But uh, he responds very poorly by saying, wait, which ones? Oh, which, which commandments? Right. This is like everybody who's trying to do good, yeah. you know, they're on their own strength. They're trying to figure it out. Yeah. It's like my kids. It's like, be nice to your sister. So is this nice to my sister? How do I be nice? I, I don't know, bro. Just be nice. <laughs> but um, Jesus said, so he breaks down the last, the second table of the law, which is uh-huh. all about loving your neighbor. Like mm-hmm. don't murder, don't steal, don't commit adultery, don't bear false witness, honor your mother and father. And uh, the man said to him, all these I've kept. Like he actually believed that he's never committed adultery and that he's never lied. And he thinks that. And that's where Jesus said, wow, cool, man. And this time reading it, I realized something that Jesus, whether honestly or just politically, like very smartly, either as a, you know, who knows? He says, oh, cool. You're perfect. Me too. (laughs) Here's what I'm doing. I'm selling everything. I'm leaving my father's mansion in heaven to come to earth to suffer and die for these kids. So since you and I are obviously on the same track, right? you're keeping the love your neighbor, then sell everything and just follow me. <laughs> Have you ever thought of it that way? No, that's I, a great I, little I, connection. I've never, he's, Because the ruler's saying, I'm, I'm perfect too. I've done yeah. the law. And so Jesus is like, sweet, I'm perfect, you're perfect, this is what I'm doing, so let's, let's do this together. Let's do this together. And uh, the young man, uh, it just says, when he heard this, he was sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Yeah, well, Jesus had some great possessions too. Right. And so he goes away sorrowful, and I think we get confused sometimes, like, we read this and go, am I supposed to sell everything? All right. Well, do you think you're perfect? Yeah, I would say if you think you're perfect and you're... Co- completely fulfilling the law of God, then I would say, yeah, your next step on this awesome video game of life is to sell everything. Um, but as for me and Matt, we are not there yet. No. And so again, this and, might crush you and it should. And it should. And the other thing I've, I've always thought of is he's also missing the opportunity that oh, what yeah. God is, what Jesus here is calling him to is to, like, hey, come live life with me. I know. And, like, who, I mean, if you realize who Jesus is, why would you not want to go live life with him? I know. Like, he's, he could have walked that's, for three years with Jesus. That's, like, a great call. And, and, he, and, and so then that's where we get into the next part. But he could have said, though, he could have repented and then been like, you know what, I can't do that, but I still want to hang out. Right, but and he I, just leaves. But he leaves. Yeah, and this you're right. The next part here is, is great because um, Jesus says, this is where he says it's it's truly difficult for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm-hmm. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And, and Jesus knows firsthand yeah. how hard it is. Yes. Yes. He knows. So he he's knows. not just saying, oh, rich people, it's hard. He's like, oh, I know. Because I, I am. And I've done it. And this is the rich person's salvation, by the way. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's hard. So look to Jesus. But And, and so we have the disciples echoing what they said with the marriage conversation. Right. Now it's greater. Instead of who can be married, they're going now, who can be saved? Right. I can't, I can't be a eunuch. I can't not be married. That's impossible. Well, it's a special gift. But who can be saved? Yeah. 
Like, if the rich can't make it, who can make because it? Because they're obviously blessed. And that's where God drops a great line. God, I just call Jesus God now. Yeah. Uh, with man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. And this is what the angel says to Mary. She's like, how can this be? I'm a virgin. With God, all things are possible. Yeah. And it's in the Old Testament somewhere too. I can't remember now, but with God, all things are possible. That God is the author of our salvation. He is the giver of it. This is gospel. Yeah. It's all given. If we had to work any part of our salvation, it wouldn't be perfect. It wouldn't be good. It wouldn't be enough. And so... Um, and then we have Peter, who I think actually hears the opportunity that the rich man missed. Yes. He actually hears the, like, the Jesus was offering an opportunity for him to be part of their group. And Peter hears <laughs> that and responds with, wait, but we've left everything to follow you. Are we in Jesus? Like, have uh, we done enough? What, what will we have? Right. And Jesus is loves Peter. And I love Peter too. Cause Peter is the guy who's like, I kind of gave up a lot, but I still have some stuff, but I'm with you. And I didn't have as much as he did. <laughs> and this is where Jesus in his mercy is like, I hear you, Peter, mm-hmm. you've left, you've left everything. I mean, you've, you've left some stuff, mm-hmm. but here's the deal in the new world, in the resurrection of all things, the world, the son of man will sit on his throne and you who have followed me will also sit on 12 thrones. So he's saying to Peter, you're going to have a position of authority because you simply followed me. And you didn't even follow me as good as this rich man would have. Right. Like, you're just with me. You and just as, showed up. And as a result, you just showed up. You're going to be judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses, brothers, sisters, father, mother, children, or lands for my name's sake. So anybody who's able to follow me will receive a hundredfold in the new creation. And inherit eternal life. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. This is what our inheritance is. So whatever we've given up, whatever we've lost out on because we're following Jesus, the promise for us from the mouth of Jesus Christ himself is that we will get it back a hundredfold. And instead of us being like little worried children in a in an AP class, like, wait, so a hundredfold? It's like Jesus gently touches us and says, it's going to be good. Yeah. Don't worry. Whatever you give up from Jesus, he'll give it back better. And then he tags on a theme that will continue into the next Mm -hmm. day's reading, which is, but many who are first will be last and the last will be first, which is hard for the people who think they're first in line, but uh, good news for those of us who think we're last in line. (laughs) Yeah. So it was hard for the rich young ruler because he thought he should have been first Mm. and he walked away. But uh, those of us who are last, we see how we missed out on it. We don't deserve it. We, we're breaking all these laws. Oh, God. But we cry out as children, we shall be first. I also think it's uh, Jews and Gentiles. Like the Jews feel like they get it first. Oh, yeah. And the Gentiles, though, are now being incorporated. But anyway, good stuff today. Yeah. New Testament. I like that. Yeah. Okay. Let's, what's our psalm for today? Our well, pro- proverb. We're going to focus on the Proverbs reading. We're going to hit all of Psalm 17 next uh, podcast. Next reading. All yeah, right. Next episode. So today's Proverbs is Proverb chapter 3, verse 11 through 20. What did you like about it? <sighs> uh, it's focusing on wisdom and the value of wisdom. And how, so again, Solomon is writing this, and Solomon actually has a lot of material wealth. 
But even from that material wealth, he's understanding that wisdom from God is way more valuable yes. than the wealth he actually has. That's right. So wisdom is more precious than silver. And her profit better than gold. Yeah. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Meditate on that, y'all. Think about the wisdom from God, the application of knowledge, knowledge of God, receiving his gospel, but also the things we got to do in life. Mm-hmm. We interact the law with the law in the things we do daily. But we are the people of wisdom. We are the people who have the Holy Spirit who get the application of the good news. And so uh, pursue that as seriously as you would riches. Yes. All right. Boom. You've just been fed by ravens. Go in peace and serve the Lord. See you next time.